So today on the Grand Slam Tennis Podcast, we have a very special guest indeed, Barry Flatman, decorated journalist, broadcaster, you name it. Barry, how's it going? It's going very well, thank you. Excellent. Uh, so there's only one place to start. We've just been discussing Naomi Osaka versus Coco Gauff before. I had some technical issues, so we're going we're going over it again. Um, we're in the midst right now of absolute hysteria over this amazing, amazing match and that on-court interview afterwards. Um, because we're recording 10 o'clock in the morning uh, on Sunday, British time. Um, so we've both just woken up to this pretty amazing story. It was Osaka who won in the end, 6-3, 6 love but we'll get onto the match in a minute because there was that most extraordinary moment when Osaka asked Gorf to do the encore interview with her. Um, so Osaka kind of went up to Gorf, didn't she, at the, um, at the end of the match, uh, and she she said to to Corey Gorf, um, do the encore interview with me. Gorf said, I'm going to cry, and then Osaka said, I think it's better than going into the shower and crying. Um, what, what, what do you think, Barry? It was it was gratifying to see. Um, I think we've seen too many catty, nasty scenes in, in female tennis in recent years. Um, apart from the, the two Williams sisters together, that you can't think of a whole lot of compassion between players. But this um, this certainly was compassionate, and I think dates back to to last year's final. Those those regrettable, horrendous scenes where effectively Serena Williams ruined um, Naomi Osaka's hour, moment, whatever you want to call it, of victory um, with her tantrum. I think that everyone in tennis, Serena included, uh, regrets a year on. Yeah, I I definitely feel like Osaka had that in her mind, didn't she? Because it it was the same dynamic with the crowd, wasn't it? The crowd was so behind Gorf. And there was such a story around her as there was around Williams when she faced Osaka. Obviously, she's chasing Margaret Court's record. So it was, all the attention was on her. All the backing was behind her. And it was the same here. So you did feel like Osaka was almost kind of, I don't know, setting a new, um, uh, maybe setting a new kind of way of behaving at the top of the game, right? It's, it's a new dawn for, women, for women's tennis, for tennis generally, perhaps. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think she, I think Asaka is far more intelligent than a lot of people give her credit for. Sometimes when you see her interviews, she seems a bit of a, uh, can I use the word airhead? You know, there doesn't appear to be a lot going on between her ears, and, and there certainly is. And without doubt, she felt for um, Coco Goff out there last night because, you know, 6-3-6 love is pretty emphatic. Um, uh, uh, losing a set to love in front of a packed Arthur Ashe stadium uh, couldn't have done too much for, for Goff's self-esteem. And, and I think Osaka recognised that and wanted to, to make the youngster feel better about herself. Mm. And I, I think that's to be applauded. Gorf on Osaka after the match uh, said, I think she just proved that she's a true athlete. For me, the definition of an athlete is someone who on the court treats you like your worst enemy, but off the court can be your best friend. I think that's what she did tonight. I mean, you were saying about kind of women's tennis being dominated by this aggro. It's been, I mean, it's been a tournament full of aggro, hasn't it? Everywhere. So this is one of the most uplifting and heartwarming things wasn't it on a tennis court and it was just 
it was great to see after all the events that has been the last few days. It's been it's been very weird. The the spirit of Kyrgios has been looming large, put it that way. <laughs> um, I mean, for off court incident alone, has this been one of your favourite slams ever so far? For off court incident, yes, I think probably it has. Yeah. For on court incident, I think we're still waiting for a couple of inverted commas great matches. Mm. Um, I think I think. For it to become one of my favourite slams, I think that that is necessary. Um, but in terms of what's gone off the court, um, it's yeah, it's been interesting. You know, plenty went on last year. Uh, some of it on the court as well. You know, with the uh, with the Mohamed Layani incident with Nick Kyrgios and all the trouble that that caused, and and um, Elise Cornet and her shorts and and and. Uh, sorry, a dress it was, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, um, so we we've got away from that a little bit, but we've still we've still had a few um, blow ups. You know, we, we had um, Daniel Medvedev falling out with the New York crowd, which of course Novak Djokovic did uh, to some kickback uh, mm-hmm. a few years ago. Um, and will Daniel Medvedev now be booed by the New York crowd every time he sets foot on Arthur Ashe Stadium? It's, it's be interesting to see. Yeah, they make their voices know, uh, heard in New York, don't they? They really do. Um, so the match it was six three six on the soccer in just over an hour. And those early fight from Gorf, but she just kind of seemed to be overpowered, out thought in the end, didn't she? Really? Yes, she did. She did. There's that, you can't you can't hide that in any way, shape, or form. And I think Osaka played like a champion, and mm. Osaka. I think that's the best she's played since she won the Australian Open. She's kind of gone a little bit AWOL uh, from tennis since um, winning in Melbourne in January. And I think now she's back to his best. And, and, and I think that's very timely because uh, she must now be rated as a contender again. Definitely. I mean, she played some really, really intelligent tennis. Cause, I mean, I've often... I don't know, this year she's felt a little bit like she's regressed to being just a ball striker, right, hasn't she? When at the US Open last year, what was so great about her was her intelligent counter-punching, her her speed around the court, her foot speed. And you you felt like you had that again almost in in this match, wasn't it? And she, like you say, it was a performance of a champion, wasn't it? Because she was like, a lot of pressure on her. (laughs) It was a lot of pressure on her. Yeah, Um, I mean, there's been some very strange things happening in her camp. You know, she Mm. she took on a coach and then just when she seemed to have really cracked it by winning the Australian Open, she got rid of him again. Mm. Um, I don't think we'll ever really find out the story of that one. Um, But she she is now, and it may be just the surroundings of um, of Flushing Meadows, but she's now getting back to her best. And and as I say, the timing of that is absolutely perfect. Halfway through a Grand Slam, big matches to come. Uh, you've got to like her chances. So John McEnroe expressed his hope before the match that Gorf would lose. I know this got quite a lot of traction on Twitter. Um, yeah. So he said, I actually think it would be bad for the sport of tennis. If Coco Goff of 15 can beat the defending champion, break down the defending champion. He was also saying it would be kind of too much too soon for her. And I know Fred Stolly expressed a similar sentiment on the pod a few weeks ago. Um, so, 
I don't know, what have your thoughts been on the whole Corey Goff story so far? My, my thoughts have been pretty consistent from, from when we started sending big names rolling at Wimbledon. We've got to be very careful. We can, you know, it's, it's very easy to, to look back and remember all these teenage phenomenons that have come through and, you know, with, with a few exceptions, have pretty much burnt out before they've even turned 20. And, and I think everyone's got to keep Corey Goff in perspective. She is a great talent, but she is very young. And she seems a lot more grounded than some of her predecessors, and and her parents are seem to be sensible people. But we mustn't get too carried away, and we mustn't bestow too many, uh, too much praise on her. Mm-hmm. Um, some some of it obviously is, is legitimate, but you can't get carried away because it can ruin these kids. And we've seen too many examples: Andrea Yeager, Jennifer Capriati, even if you like Anna Kournikova, mm-hmm. of, of what has happened to them in the past. And uh, and I don't want to see that happen to Corey Gold because I, I I do view her as a real talent, but we've got to be a little bit patient with her. Yeah, she was. The youngest player to reach round three of the US since Kornikova in nineteen ninety six. She had a good career, of course, but she also kind of burns out pretty quickly, didn't she, Kornikova? Um, that's the nature of tennis, isn't it? Really, if you, which is why it's obviously so impressive that Venus Williams, Serena Williams, Federer have gone on so deep into their thirties, right, and sustained yes. that level for twenty years. You see, so many players actually kind of. It's a sport of repetition, right, isn't it? And it's a sport of immense attention as well. So you're going to burn out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to, to remember a young girl that broke through that didn't. Even Tracy Austin, who was very, very grounded, she, she had a couple of lost years. Mm. Um, Chris Ebert, I suppose, is one that, that kept, although she wasn't quite as young as some of them, she certainly wasn't as young as, as Coco Goff. Mm. Mm. I mean, Sharapova as well, potentially, of course. Serena well, Williams. yeah, but she's had, a, you know, a few lost years and she's taken, yeah. she's taken the wrong road at various crossroads in her career. And, yeah. uh, and personally, I, I, I think, you know, we won't be ever be seeing Maria Sharapova contending for a Grand Slam ever again. Um, elsewhere last night, Monfils, uh, Gail Monfils defeated Denis Shapovalov in five pretty remarkable sets. I'm not sure if you've seen any of the highlights of this, Barry. I haven't um, seen that one, but I, I saw the score. And Monfils is capable of doing anything in this game. Yep, and yep. I mean anything. He, he is a great talent. He's horrendously inconsistent at times. <laughs> and just when you think, God, this kid's really cracked it now, he, he, he'll, he'll go and get injured or flunk out. But Shefabalov is not quite the player he was. 18 months ago. Mm. I hope he does come back because I think he's got a lot going for himself. But I think it would be great if Monfils could go all the way. Really would be great. I remember writing a um, a blog for Tennis TV, ATP Tennis TV, a few weeks back, previewing the North America swing. And he was looking back on the kind of the upsets that have come in Montreal or Toronto and Cincinnati. And one of the matches I included was Shapovalov's defeat of Nadal in 2017. Of course, and I remember that being so exciting, right? It was such a, it was just 
this this guy had broken out onto the scene and he was he was swashbuckling he was federer-esque but with kind of more uh physicality about him he was bullish and then like you say the last 18 months have just been the most like famous thing he's done is do that horrendous rap on court right <laughs> it's not really, it's not really been a great year but what can usually do you think do for the canadian i, I guess your your career coincided a lot with Eugenie's tennis career. What do you think the Russian can bring to Shapovalov's game? So it has been a little upturn, hasn't there, since yeah, he's come on yeah. the scene? Well, I, maturity is what I, I would like to see from Shapovalov. Uh, Mikhail Eugenie, he wasn't he wasn't a, a charismatic player. He wasn't he wasn't particularly exciting to watch, but he he was he stayed there. He was he was a top twenty consistent player for a long, long, long time. And I think if he can just bring a little bit of consistency to Shapovalov's game, if he can just amp down the, the big the big big stuff and, and maybe put a little bit of guile and usually had a lot of guile to his game, um, then I think that would be good for Shapovalov. You know, we 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 were viewing Shapovalov as a potential top what, five, even higher mm-hmm. player a few years ago, and that hasn't really worked out. But you know that is often the case with these youngsters, and I think I think Shapovalov can certainly come again. Um, but he's got to he's got to buy into what Yuzhny tells him, and he's got to stick with Yuzhny as well. You know, so a lot of times players take on these these ex pros, these ex ex. Super coaches, we used to call them, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And and I'm thinking primarily of, of Sasha Zarev and Ivan Lendl. The relationships mm-hmm. don't last very long, and then you know, there's bound to be a fallout or two along the road. And and Shapovalov has got to just take the view. Well, Mikhail knows better than I do. He's been there longer than I have, and I've just got to buy into what he's telling me. And even if I don't agree with it. I've got to sort of just be patient with it. And you mentioned the kind of the guile you usually had as player. It did seem like in that match against Monfils, it struck me Shapovalov was coming into the net a lot. Because so I've been kind of thinking of him, which is harsh at this stage because he's still got so many years ahead of him, but I was thinking of him as a the next Grigor Dimitrov in a way. He's kind of got all the shots in his armoury, but he, yeah. his point construction isn't there often. He, he doesn't make the right decisions. He... He doesn't have kind of dependable ways of winning points when it's not going all his way. But you make a very good comparison there because because everyone thought, I mean, Dimitrov was the new Roger Federer, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Dimitrov, it was it was it was almost a given that Dimitrov was going to be world number one in X number of years, and he would carry on the Federer mantle. And that, you know, apart from winning at the O2 a couple of years ago, that just hasn't happened for Grigor Dimitrov. You will not find a nicer man. You will not find a more intelligent man um, on the men's circuit, but. Something was missing with Grigor Dimitrov, and you know, and and again, splitting up with coaches when it didn't necessarily merit it. You know, Danny Valverde was doing a great job with Dimitrov, and then all of a sudden, Danny Valverde finds himself out of a job. So, um, I think I think patience is 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 something that is not exactly in abundance uh, with these tennis players at the moment. One question, actually, I didn't uh, wasn't planning to ask, but now I've brought it up. What do you think of? Evans split with Felgate. That struck me as a weird decision. Inexplicable. 
inexplicable yeah. is the word. I, it, it would appear that it's all based on finance, and, and I think probably, and I don't know, but I, I think that perhaps Felgate asked for a bit more money after what uh, what he'd done, and, and he got the time-honoured answer. Um, I, I, I just thought that Evans... We're talking about people consistent in their mind, and, and, and Dan Evans is the prime example of somebody that just suddenly goes off on a whim and does something different. Um, mm. He has amazing hand skills. He really does. He's not a big man. He's only five foot nine, but he he still can serve big. He can move around the court beautifully, and his hand skills are, are, are stunning. But he just has this self-destruct button that just when he appears to be getting there, he flicks that button and, and, and he goes and ruins it all. And uh, obviously he did that with the regrettable cocaine business a couple of years ago. And, and I think just when he was getting somewhere with Felgate, and, and Felgate is a very experienced, you know, we all know Tim Hemman, but, you know, there's been plenty of other players that, that Felgate has really helped. Xavier Melise, Donna Beckett when she was younger. And, she, and he was perfect for Evans. And then all of a sudden he's out of a job. Uh, speaking of Canadians, Toronto champion Bianca Andreescu yet to drop a set this tournament. Yeah, She's defeated yeah. Volunets, Flipkins, and then Caroline Wozniacki, 6-4, 6-4 on Saturday. I don't know if you've seen her post-match press after that match, yeah, actually. I have, yeah, I uh, yeah. it's, it's lovely, isn't it? So the journalist, uh, a journalist told the 19-year-old uh, she had broken into the top 10 and she was just completely stunned. Uh, she said, you're kidding me, started fanning herself and, <laughs> and then said, I don't usually check these things. I just like to focus on my game, but that's, wow, that's all I can say right now. I'm getting red. <laughs> um, so I just absolutely love that because obviously players always trot that line out, don't they? They say, oh, don't look at the rankings. And then she's just like, well, yeah, that's just pretty good. <laughs> that's just amazing. Uh, how far do you think she can go? I think she can go a very long way. If you look at the draw, she's in the best quarters to progress. You know, Next, she has to play Taylor Townsend, who, mm. who has done exceptionally well to have got as far as she has but I don't think she really has the tools to to beat Andrescu if Andrescu is, is on top of her game and thereafter it's it's Arn or um, Mertens which are both beatable then comes Osaka but let, let's get a couple of matches out of the way first but I think I think Bianca Andrescu is the real deal. I really do. You know, people will compare her for obvious reasons because she's Canadian to Jeannie Bouchard. But and Jeannie Bouchard, let us never forget, made the final of Wimbledon. But Jeannie Bouchard's priorities seem to be in front of a ten, uh, in front of a camera rather than in front of an opponent's tennis racket at the moment, mm. um, for right or for wrong. And uh, and I think Andrescu has so much more to her game. Uh, somebody referred to her as the Frankenstein of tennis because she's got so many parts to her game. She's almost picked up a, a one a forehand from one player and a backhand from another, <laughs> a movement from another. Um, but she is she is the real deal. And if you look at the people she's beaten this year. You know, she beat Wozniacki in the last round. She's beaten Carolina Pliskova. She's beaten Angie Kerber twice. She's beaten Svitolina. She's beaten Muguruza. So she can she can pretty much knock over. She beat Serena by default because Serena had to retire. But but she she can 
trouble the big players and she can also keep her mind cool and and complete these wins which a lot of these youngsters struggle to do but she can get the job done she's got two masters titles to her name of course so um Toronto a few weeks ago and then Indian Wells earlier in the year too and as you say she's got all these top 10 wins you do feel like a lot of the time when somebody like Jeannie Bouchard for example or Ostapenko when she won the French Open yeah. they they make these breakout tournaments don't they without really having um, any kind of sustained record or any kind of sustained experience of defeating top 10 players being a top 20 top 10 player Whereas Andreescu, if, if she went on to win the US Open, you feel like she wouldn't, it wouldn't be that alien to her, right? And, and, and you know, there's, there's history, um, certainly in the women's game in the last few years, of unusual Grand Slam mm. winners. Yeah, um, yeah. Ash Barty, the French, you know, people thought Ash Barty was a good player. They didn't see her as a clay court player. <laughs> and, she, and she won the French. Um, Asaka a year ago. Um, so, I I wouldn't rule out anything happening for, for Andrescu in the next week or so. Yeah. Um, the one caveat we should say to kind of long-term success, I know a few people have cited, is she's had quite an injury-hit season, which makes it even more all the more impressive that she's got this far. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She does have back and rotator cuff problems. She's only 19. Uh, that's certainly cause for concern, right, isn't it? Because they're kind of quite chronic oh, yeah. problems, it seems. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, true. You know, and you know, the, there's a great, there's a great saying that goes back. You've got to play hurt, and yeah. and she appears to have the ability of, at the moment, of being able to suck up the pain and overcome these injuries and and keep on going. Yeah, the next week will tell us a lot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so I wanted to get a word from you on Johanna Conter as well, because um, I know. A lot of our listeners might not be from the UK, but you've written a lot of words about her and she's come through against Kazakina uh, in the first round and has just not looked back since. She's dropped just six games in the last two rounds against Gasparian and Zhang. Um, I think British tennis fans have learned to temper their expectations and they have concert in the last yeah. few months. Uh, but should we be excited this time? Is is Have you seen a, any kind of difference from the way she was playing in the French Open and in Wimbledon, where, of course, she had those disappointing defeats in the end. I think I think with Conta, you've always got to put an asterisk behind her name hmm. and say, can blow up at any time. Um, but with each Grand Slam, she's adding more and more maturity. And the problem with Joe is she, she I think, and I, I, I've said this to her. She worries too much about what people think about her rather than actually what she's doing herself. And for, for a couple of years, we, we were given a sort of a psychological lecture by Joe Conter about the process and what she was doing and how she was getting there and, and how she was beating her mind. And I think she was more or less trying to convince herself rather than the journalists that were listening to her. And I'm hoping that that that, that incident at Wimbledon with with mm. the with the Daily Express journalists, I'm I'm just hoping that that taught her a lesson. And she mustn't care about what people are thinking about her. She must really focus on what she is doing out there. And 
overcoming the opponent. Uh, and I think if she does that, then, then, and I'm not exaggerating it, I think Joe Conta could win the Grand Slam title. But she's got to keep it going all the way. And, and that's what she's been able, unable to do thus far in her career. Keep it going for seven matches in a Grand Slam. Do you think that's what's changed for this year? Then you mentioning. Um... I, I don't. I don't. When you say, do you think? I hope it is. But, yeah. but do I know that? No, I don't. Because you know the next couple of rounds are going to be crucial for concert. Mm-hmm. That's where if she does hit um hit a bump, then then that's where she kind of falls off. Um, if she can keep going, well, anything is possible, as I say. Yeah, she's always struck me as a player where you feel like it goes really well until it goes wrong. If that makes sense, you know what I mean. Yeah. She, no, she, it makes she, absolute sense. She doesn't. She often doesn't have in in tennis terms. She often doesn't have a plan B. I'm not sure if you'd agree. She's not a player of improvisation, is she? She's very no, much a player no, of no. patterns. I can remember a match at the US Open a few years ago where that that was abundantly clear. I can't remember who it was against, but I just can. Remember sitting out there watching her and thinking, "Well, try something different, Joe. Try something different." But she just couldn't try something different. Mm-hmm. So she faces Karolina Pliskova later today. Yeah, she's a player she's beaten. She, yeah. beat, she beat her in Rome earlier mm-hmm. this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Pliskova serves massively, and and a critic would say there's not a lot else to her game really. Yeah. Um, so Conta Conta has the tools to beat Pliskova and and has the history to beat Pliskova. What's going on between Joe Conta's ears that will make or break her? So staying on the women's side, a few more fantastic stories this week I just wanted to bring up. Um, I'm sure you've seen Christy Arms run into round four. So she's returned to the US Open for the first time since she lost to Dinara Safina in the first round in 2008 as a 16-year-old. We were mentioning kind of young prodigies earlier. That is it's an incredible story. She qualified for a first slam since that breakthrough um, this summer at Wimbledon. Uh, and then this time last year, she was prepping to go through qualities of a challenger in Chicago. Incidentally, she played uh, Bouchard in the first round of that challenger. Um, uh, yeah, what I'm really seen. I still haven't seen her play, to be honest. So she's kind of been this idea in my mind, Christiane. But it is it's such a good story, um, such a good comeback story. Yeah, well, there's a there's a there's a time on a saying: good things come to those who wait. Mm-hmm. And and Christiane has certainly waited, hasn't she? <laughs> yeah, she has. Um, her father's response after she defeated Kuznetsova uh, on Monday, who of course made the final Cincinnati, she was looking really good, put her away in straight sets. Her father said, so, this is a bit of a problem, how are you going to get into corporate America if you keep winning? <laughs> uh, <laughs> she uh, she's, she's uh, had an interview with, I think it was Tomani Carriol in, uh, in, the, in the Guardian um, about how her father's been wanting her to become an accountant <laughs> for the last five years and she's been kind of pursuing this tennis career. Can we get a proper job? Yeah, exactly, totally. Yeah, yeah, she's been kind of dipping in and out of the, the top 200, not really earning enough. Her parents have been having to support her um, and they've been kind of in objection to this uh, to this kind of pursuit. But she's, like you say, uh, the rewards are well and truly being reaped now. She's in round four. Um, and Taylor Townsend too, as you mentioned, um, you might remember Murray picking her out as a player to watch nine years ago um, when she reached round three of the US Open as an 18-year-old. Um, 
yeah, he said she could go on and do really big things. And it's been really interesting, hasn't it? The way she's been playing. She's been serving and volleying and just coming to the net all the time, hasn't she? Well, that, that, that's the good thing about women's tennis lately. You know, you could you could make a case that men's tennis is has become so, so predictable mm, mm. Um, with, with the big three always dominating it at the slams. Whereas women's tennis, the unpredictability of it is... is, is enticing really because you, you never really know who's going to since since Serena kind of slipped away a little bit and, I, and I'll, I'll come back to Serena in a minute mm. but, but since Serena hasn't quite been so dominant different different players come through and, and we've had so many different female champions in Grand Slam tennis lately that it's, it, it makes it very interesting let's have a word on Serena Williams, she came through a pretty extraordinary match, didn't she, at the start of the week? Um, and then since then, she's looked pretty imperious. Uh, I've, I've, I've become very wary to back her in Grand Slams now because she's lost in semi-finals recently, hasn't she? Uncharacteristically. But do you think this could be fairy tale of New York three years late for her? I think. Serena is going to end up the woman's champion. I think she's finally okay. going to get Margaret Court's record uh, yeah. this fortnight. Um, and I just think that she's probably fitter than she has been in, in well, a couple of years, if you like. Mm-hmm. And and I think she's focused and she just knows that it's almost now or never. And, and she's an experienced and intelligent enough player to think, don't get sidetracked, don't get involved in any of these shenanigans that you tend to get involved at on Arthur Ashe Arena. Uh, and I'm not just thinking about Osaka, but I'm thinking about uh, the Kim Kleister's match and the uh, Sam Stosa match. You know, she, she gets involved in these tantrums and she's just got to keep her mind cool and, and concentrate on her game. And if she can do that, then I think that this could be the, the, the record-breaking performance. You do feel like, as well, these other American stories have helped her go under the radar a little bit, particularly Coco Goff, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we should mention Halep briefly, actually, as well, because I know you wanted to have a word on her. She lost to Taylor Townsend. Um, what? I, I really I can't work Halep out. One minute I'm thinking... She's incredibly, uh, she's an incredibly level-headed woman. She knows kind of, uh, she knows what she wants. She knows, um, she has a sense of perspective. You see what I mean? And then, and then I think, has she really got the motivation and the kind of killer instinct to have any kind of consistency? I think the same with Kerber. What do yeah. you think? Yeah, no. Well, I, I certainly Halle. I think I think Kerber. Kerber. I don't want to be rude, but I think Kerber is, was one of the most fortunate world number ones that the, the, the women's game's ever seen. In that, that, that she she benefited from other players' inconsistencies. Mm. Um, but Halep, oh, I, you know, I agree with you. I, I just I'm trying to. Is it because she's not with her coach Darren Cahill anymore, and he was so important to her? Mm. But then again, you know, he he wasn't he wasn't at Wimbledon with her either was he mm-hmm. um, I just think Simona Halep is, is an inconsistent player and and 
I also think you never know when she's truly 100% fit because she, she's a player that certainly has to play through the pain barrier. And, um, you know, this, this fortnight just wasn't to be for her. But ask her why, and she probably doesn't even know herself. And speaking of uh, not knowing what's going on, Nick Kyrgios, we, we've, we've done well to get through half an hour without mentioning his name. Well, I might have mentioned it at the start, but uh, we've not had a discussion yet. He lost out to Rublev. Um, there was no... who, is, who is, by the way, a very, very, very good player. He is. And, and, you know, we make say the headline on the piece last week, the Russians are coming. Yeah. And, I mean, there's Medvedev, there's Hashinov, who didn't do so well here, and there's most certainly Rublev, who's had injury problems, but he is he is certainly one to watch for the future. Yeah, it's, it's an exciting time for Russian tennis, isn't it? It's been quite a, uh, yeah, kind of bizarre, sudden upsurge of Russian success, hasn't there? But Russian men, really. Yeah, Russian because, men, yeah, uh, yeah. Because it was all Russian women, Russian with Miskina, Dementieva, and, mm. and, you know, a whole pack of them, but uh, Russian men were sort of in the background since Marat Safin, but uh, and the aforementioned Mikhail Yushin. Yes, um, of course, of course. But now, now you know, Rublev and and Medvedev are probably the two most exciting youngsters around at the moment. I would agree. I certainly would agree. Um, we'll have a word on Rublev in a second uh, because, forgive me, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna lead with the. The, the clickbait kind of black hole that is Kyrgios. Uh, he was heard saying during this match, I don't even want to be here. I just want to go yeah. home. There was no Steve Johnson or Liani to fire him up this time either. Uh, and he said, in press, he was asked about those comments in the match. And he said, I've been on the road for five and a half months now. It's not easy. Um, and then when he was asked about his suspension, <laughs> this, is, this is quite good, actually. He... Uh, he came back with a sarcastic riposte saying, I'm, I'm a pretty boring player. I don't really add much to the sport. Uh, so he clearly thinks he should be uh, kind of left untouched, really, um, ahead of the Asia swing. But, I don't know, again, Kyrgios, like Halep, a player, it's hard to put into words, right? I mean, what is there to say about this man? He's frustrating, sometimes uplifting. But what do you think should be his fate, Barry? This man has the talent has the skill, has the game to be a multiple Grand Slam champion. Mm. That That is undeniable. But something short circuits in his brain that almost tells him, ruin it, ruin it. You know, and, and why that is, I've asked him, I've asked him, I've, I sat down and did a big interview with him before Wimbledon last year. And he just, put his head between his knees and shook it and uh, as if to say, I don't know. I just don't know. What what I do know is that he he can be quite an engaging guy to speak to. And he he has more fan backing than than any well, barring Federer, um, than than anyone. You know, the anyone of below the age of 25, just seems to love Nick Kyrgios and and really wants him to succeed. The only one, the only player under the age of 25 that doesn't seems to be Nick Kyrgios. And he he clearly doesn't like tennis very much. Andrei Agassi <laughs> yeah. said uh, once, you know, 
I I hated tennis. Yeah. And I think I think he said that purely to sell his book. Yeah, first line of his book, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I think I think that's very much the case for Kyrgios, and and I think he's he's kind of baffled by it all. Um, I used to for a long time go to the um, the column the newspaper column of Pat Cash, who who's, who spent a lot of time with Kyrgios during Kyrgios's formative years when he was sort of fifteen, sixteen, and I mentioned this to Kyrgios once, and he said, "Christ, what a sad out he is." And I said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, oh, what's he still doing hanging around tennis at his age? <laughs> so I said, well, it's called earning a, earning a living, really, Nick. You yeah. know, it's, yeah. he's, he's a former champion. He, you know, he only won one Grand Slam, we know. But, but you know, he, he is still a very big name in Australia. And, and um, you know, he, a lot of them... And he said, I don't want to be doing that. I don't want to be doing that. So I said, okay, well, what are you going to be doing when you're 50? Playing basketball, he told me. Now, I said, Nick, let me tell you one thing in life. You're not going to be playing professional basketball at the age of 50. You might you might go out there and, and muck about on a court, but you're not going to be playing professional basketball. So, for, for Cash still to be playing on the senior tour and getting involved in all the media he does, you, you'll be grateful for that. And, and he looks at me and, and he, as if to say, you're mad, you don't understand me. And I don't understand him. And, and I defy many people to understand Nick Kyrgios. You say he doesn't have the answers. At the end of this press conference, somebody asked him just that. They were like, there'd been quite a kind of informal line of questions. And then somebody came in and you could see Kyrgios, because obviously the camera's just on him. He just immediately rolled his eyes because there was this guy who was trying to get some kind of <laughs> like tennis... Uh, stuff out of him uh, and he asked him what do you think it's going to take to harness your potential and he said I don't know uh, it was kind of I didn't know if it was kind very of very honest answer yeah it's honest but it's, it's also kind of impudence but it's also kind of I don't know yeah it is, it is a, yeah like you say it is an honest answer he doesn't have the answers right now does he and I, I feel a bit bad kind of leading with Kyrgios in this way because Rublev deserves an enormous amount of credit and he made Kyrgios look actually quite limited in this match, didn't he? He was just moving him side to side and Kyrgios, his movement looked pretty, he was made to look pretty bad, to be honest. Um, And that's, uh, not many players have done that really, have they, to him? No, well, I mean, Kyrgios fired down 30 aces, which he's always going to do. Yeah. Uh, You know, there's always going to be a... Big number of, of aces coming down. Rublev didn't let that bother him at all. Mm. And 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 he, do you know? I mean, I was amazed reading the stats. This Rublev committed just fourteen unforced errors. Kyrgios had thirty eight. So it, it just shows that Rublev's a player that clearly does think about his game. Clearly does care about what he does out of the court. Um, he's he's far far better than world number forty three at the moment. Mm. Um, he's beaten Tsitsipas he's beaten Kyrgios and uh, and I think he could go a lot. he plays Matteo Berrettini now I think he can beat him as well so it's it's going to be very interesting for Andre Rublev in, in the next week definitely I think I, I have quite a bad opinion of Berrettini because I watched him play uh, uh, Federer at Wimbledon Live I watched the last set and I, I, I've never seen such an abject set of tennis yeah. <laughs> he just 
looked completely lost out there. I think he, he's got something to offer, but yeah, like you said, I think it's Rublev's match that really, and this is all after he actually, um, I interviewed Paul Jubb last week and uh, Jubb actually beat him at Eastbourne. Uh, Rublev was just coming back from injury at the time. And since then, Rublev has just not looked back. He got final of Hamburg and then great run at Cincinnati. Um, defeating Federer, of course, and then that winning in sits pass, really, really impressive. Um, I just wanted to ask before we moved on, what is it like as a journalist to communicate with Kyrgios? I'm always really interested by his dynamic with you guys. Well, it's the proverbial walking on eggshells. Um, <laughs> I have had the misfortune to have twice been in Shanghai when Kyrgios had his more memorable blow-ups. And uh, th- those press conferences weren't pleasant affairs. Um, I'm quite glad that I'm not Australian because I don't have to deal with Kyrgios that often, whereas mm. the Australians have to go time and time and time again. And doing our tonic across as well. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, no, it's, it's not easy. I mean, you... you you talk to his mum, you talk to his dad, you talk to his agent. Um, they, they're all very, very level-headed people. And, and you say to them, how do you manage to keep your sanity? with, with, with and, and his mum just says, ah, oh, Nick's a lovely guy, really. And, and sometimes he is, but sometimes he isn't. And... <laughs> and it's just you, you never know which Nick Kyrgios is going to come through the door. That's the problem. Do you think he should be banned? I think he should. I think I, I, I think that will probably be the only thing that could teach him a lesson. But it just might drive him away from the game completely. You really think there's a threat of that? You think he'd walk away? I do. I do because he doesn't enjoy. He doesn't love it. Yeah. He, he doesn't love the game in this way that, uh, say, a Federer loves the game. Nadal loves the game. Kyrgios doesn't love the game in that respect. I was wondering about this, actually. Because um, obviously people compare him to Murray a lot, don't they? Because those two get on quite well. And I was thinking if Kyrgios had a similar injury to Murray, no chance he'd be playing a challenger and be putting in the hours to, no, <laughs> to get back no. to the top of the game, would he? No, no. It'd be curtains, wouldn't no. it? Yeah. Uh, so speaking of the ATP Next Gen, Zverev made it to the second week of the US Open for the first time on Make Saturday. It has, he certainly has. Because uh, uh, unsurprisingly, we didn't lead with Zverev because he seems every week to be going to five sets against some kind of fairly mediocre <laughs> top hundred player. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so he's already spent ten hours on court. And you'd, 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 you'd put a bit of money on the fact that he plays Diego Schwartzman next. And yes. That's going to go the distance <laughs> as well, isn't it? <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely. So do you, I get a sense you don't feel the signs of change just yet. Because I feel like we've spent the whole summer kind of uh, speaking about Zverev comebacks and being like, oh, this is a turning point. Well, never say never. Um, you know, I mean, one thing that none of us have been able to do is look into the future and, and rightly predict what's going to happen. Um, I, th- I thought the turning point for Zarev was when he won the ATP Championship at the O2. Yeah. yeah. Um, what is it now? 
18 months, a bit more than 18 months ago. And, and, and that didn't do it. I mean, perhaps it's just the fact that he's a, he's a three-set player rather than a five-set player. I don't know. But uh, I, I, I wasn't filled with confidence when I saw Yvonne Lendl and he had parted ways. Mm. And he's now back being coached just by his father with a little bit of input by his elder brother. I, I don't think that's good. Mm. Um, I know there's a few people saying he'd kind of pushed the Lendl button too early because um, for Murray, Lendl's intervention was such a... It was the icing on the, te- on the cake that he needed. It was the perfect addition, just the last piece of the puzzle. But with Zverev, yeah. it felt like they just were worlds apart, right, didn't they, in the way they wanted him to play. He he kind of seems to see himself as a counterpuncher, doesn't he? Bizarrely. Yeah. I, I, I always struggle to understand that. Sits pass and Auger Aliasim also went out in round one. Um, uh, I, I wanted to just dwell on the Canadian for a moment because that was... He lost to Shapovalov 6-4, 6 I don't think he's fully fit, do you? Right, is that, is that it, do you think? Mm. Okay. I, I, I think he's carrying a bit of an injury. Yeah. I mean, at, at Queen's, he looked a superb player, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't think he's been fully fit since then. Right, right. Um, so, do you, I mean, do you think there's nothing... So I, I was thinking cause he'd, he'd look to not himself in Cincinnati either. So I was thinking there's some kind of issue with motivation maybe his kind of first full year on the tour no I think I think he'll be alright in the fullness of time I think he's yeah. just got to sort of concentrate on getting himself fit again yeah yeah okay well let's move on to the big three because it's been it's been uh, kind of uh, long enough uh, that we haven't mentioned them uh, Nadal is looking absolutely ferocious at the moment he put away Chung last night uh, in straight sets uh, do you think he's the favourite Barry for you well again I'm going to break with your script and say <laughs> yes I do. Yeah. <laughs> um I, I think of the of, of the big three he is the one that looks completely in control of his game. He's aggressive at the moment. He's won the US Open three times but people tend to forget. You know, people just think oh you know he's going to turn up every year in Paris and win and win Roland Garros. Mm. And that's by and large what he does. But he's also won the US Open in 2010, 2013, 2017. So I, I think, for me, he's the favourite at the moment. I think Djokovic has got this possible shoulder injury that appears to be troubling him, and he's yeah. done a, he's turned up late for practice, and he's, 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 he, he's fortunate in... in um, he hasn't had really had to play a, a name player yet mm. uh, but now he plays Stan Barinka who yeah. former champion and mm. alright he's only seeded 23 this time but Stan Stan gets revved up when he plays Novak he doesn't particularly like Novak though. Stan was very critical of uh, of all the um, Novak's part in the uh, in the Chris Commode business Djokovic basically wanted Komodo out as uh, as ATP chairman. Yeah. Djokovic has long been campaigning campaigning to take the ATP finals away from London, which was always Komodo's baby. Yeah. Um, and he and he got his way, and uh, that there was there was immense disharmony between the the head of the ATP and and the world number one. And um, Varinka didn't like that. He wasn't alone in that respect, but Varinka 
forcibly stated the fact that Novak should probably concentrate on his tennis and not on tennis politics. Mm. And so I think it's going to be a quite a, a quite a spicy match when when Novak and Varinka get out on court in this next round. Yeah, definitely the fire of He looked great against Dan Evans. He didn't mm. look too good in his, his opening two matches. Mm. And one day, and I don't know if it's this one, but one day age is going to catch up with Roger Federer. Mm. Um, it did last year against Millman, didn't it? Yeah. It certainly did. So, for me, out of the big three, Rafa's, Rafa's got my uh, vote at the moment. Okay. Okay, yeah, I think I'd join you on that one. I mean, at least we were saying that the, the men's game has been kind of quite predictable. At least there's been, it feels like at least there's been a lot of different storylines, hasn't there, this week? That have kind of, maybe maybe it's Medvedev the last uh, the last few weeks has kind of taken the spotlight off these three. But yeah, Nadal it, looking good. It would be good for tennis. It really, it I, I, I wrote that last week. Um, it would be good for tennis if there was an, an, a champion whose name was not Nadal, Federer or Djokovic. Yeah, yeah. Um, so before we finish, a quick word um, on Andy Murray. Um, again, you've obviously spent a lot of time covering Murray in your career. Um, he was playing the challenger this week, for those of you who don't know, um, at the Rafa Nadal Academy. Uh, and he was defeated in the third round by world number 240, Matteo Viola. Um, so, Barry, do you think we'll be seeing Murray on, a, on the singles court in New York this time next year? Or is that a stretch? I think it's a stretch. Sadly, I think it's a stretch. It, it's very hard for anyone to come back after leaving the game alone for a long time. Mm. Bjorn Ball couldn't do it. John McEnroe struggled. And I, I would love to see Murray back again. I don't think we'll ever, and I don't think anyone in their right mind would bet on Murray winning another major but we'd, we'd, I'd just love to see him playing a major and maybe winning a couple of rounds but on the basis of what happened in Mallorca this week that, that's a long that's a long call um, you know this this wasn't this wasn't a, a top player this wasn't an experienced player that beat him this was very much a journeyman and uh, I think so much of tennis is self-belief and I just wonder if Andy Murray deep, deep down believes that he can actually do this. Mm. Having been as, you know, distraught and I, I was in that small interview room in Melbourne this year when Mel Murray, as good as told us, I'm done. And I think all of this is just a, a bonus on top of that. But is he convinced that he can really get back? I'm not sure. So do you think this comeback is more built on hope than actual kind of sincere conviction? Conviction, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. I think I think it's built on hope, really. Um, yeah. And I don't like saying that. And I, I would love to be proved wrong. Well, he's he's done it many times in his career, hasn't he? He's proven us all wrong, uh, yeah. time and time again. But. Yeah, hopefully we'll be keeping close tabs on him the next few months. He's playing a few of the ATP 250s and 500s um, in the Asia swing, so that'll be interesting. And one more thing, quite an odd story this week. Uh, Damien Steiner, the chair umpire for the men's yeah. final Wimbledon, 
sacked by the ATP after uh, after speaking to press about kind of being an umpire. Evidently, what, what do you think about all this? It seems it seems odd that they sacked him, but didn't sack Liani for what he did last year with Kyrgios. It, see, I don't know. That seemed it, that struck me as a bit odd. Yeah, well, I think, and I don't know, uh, but I think the ATP had to be seen to making a stand, mm. and 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 Damien Steiner blatantly broke the rules. You know, he is he knows, as all the top umpires know, that they, they can't give interviews. If you know what I mean, yeah, you know, sit, sit down interview, and and Steiner didn't just do it with one person in Argentina. He did it with about ten. On, on separate occasions, right? And that would that you know, and the one thing umpires, referees, whatever you want to call them, should know is the rules. And this yeah. this broke the rules. Uh, whether that's right or whether that's wrong, that's another matter. Uh, I personally think that you know, in in this here we are in 2019, and the freedom of the press has been ongoing for centuries. That that people should be allowed to say their views but um, the fact that he gave his views on things like toweling down during matches and, and, and this sort of thing um, clearly infuriated the ATP tour and um, and he suffered the consequences. I, I feel a degree of sympathy for him but I also think he was rather naive and given his experience should have known better. Sure, sure. Uh, so Barry to conclude, what's been your moment of this quite remarkable US Open so far? Uh, mine's well, mine's I'm, Medvedev, I'm not, personally. I'm not one of these sort of romantics that, that, <laughs> that sort of tears up um, when a bit of compassion is shown, but I certainly thought that that meeting of the net last night between uh, Naomi Osaka and Coco Goff mm. takes a bit of beating. Mm. Mm. And I... somebody will call me a softie for saying that, but... <laughs> but uh, I think I think that was good to see, given all the aggro that has gone on before. Yeah, well, personally, I'm I'm very much for the ag- aggro, so I'm going to go with Medvedev's uh, kind of Russian Bond villain impersonation uh, <laughs> after after beating Feliciano Lopez. He'd had kind of three hours of the crowd booing him and being on his back, and then he just kind of reveled and became drunk on this chorus of booze in the encore interview afterwards um, and just said yeah guys you've given me the energy to keep going thank you and it just infuriated the crowd so I think that was just amazing um, anyway we've had a few predictions haven't we haven't we through the episode so who do you think is going to be lifting the women's symbols crown on Saturday Serena Williams okay and the men's winner is going to be Raphael Nadal. Okay, fantastic. Barry, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, Really appreciate you coming on. Jolly good, I've enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us for this very exciting edition of the Grand Slam Tennis Online Podcast. We hope we'll be speaking with Barry again very soon. In the meantime, there's going to be an episode next Monday reviewing the US Open. God knows what's going to happen. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify and Acast and get all of your news on GrandSlamTennis.online. We're all over Facebook, all over Twitter and Instagram. Roger's out there taking photos for us in Flushing Meadows. In the meantime, have a great week. Thank you for listening.